Hey everyone, welcome back to Abroad Talks to People, another edition. I kind of said that fast. Abroad Talks to People. But yeah, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in again. This is this is excellent. I I'm really excited that uh, more and more people are listening to this, and I hope I can get the word out and get even more people interested in the show. So I really appreciate anybody who's you know who likes the show to share it with their friends, share it with people who think would enjoy it. So today's episode is with Ryan Paul Johnson. He's a comedian based out of Phoenix. He runs a lot of shows out of uh, Improv Mania in Chandler. He's a really funny comedian but also interestingly he has this incredibly inspiring story incredibly inspiring that's that's an alliteration right there but he has this incredible story about how he broke his back when he was 18 years old in a snowboarding accident and after that like after that accident he was rendered paralyzed from the neck down and then he like has spent essentially the last two decades like recovering from it and the 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 cadence the mood of the entire conversation never got to the woe is me uh you know kind of point of view he's he's really positive about all of this and he describes what he went through and it's like really really incredible i'm like kind of running out of adjectives here a little bit but you know it's super interesting to to hear somebody talk about such a such a traumatic experience this physical trauma mental trauma and he went through all of that and today he's doing all these other incredible things you know he's doing comedy and he's back doing water sports doing wakeboarding and other cool shit uh and you know just this this i mean it was really fascinating to listen to somebody talk about their experiences in those terms Apart from all these things Ryan is also in the business of real estate like I said and uh, so I'm like super interested in just the the world of real estate and what are the things that kind of control what factors impact real estate uh from a micro economics level and a macro economics level that's super interesting and fascinating to me so I spoke to him about his profession uh, and we went into the nitty gritty of different aspects of real estate it's like you know talking about the pandemic and how the pandemic has not really put in, put any dampers on on real estate pricing what the election is going to do to the uh, to real estate prices and there's the overall economy and among a lot of other things like chinese nationals holding property in the united states is that true what's going on with that you know if 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 you are somebody who's kind of thinking about buying real estate to live in it uh, live in a house or even invest in uh, real estate or even thinking about thinking about buying real estate i think this is going to be a very uh appropriate conversation to listen to and i think there's a lot of knowledge here that you know that is ripe to be shared with the populace i don't know why i sound like that i don't know man fucking i got to like open up a dictionary and try to write down and think of more adjectives like i literally don't have any adjectives at this point but yeah besides that i think this this conversation is 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 it's great so i'm fucking Here it is. Abra talks to Ryan Paul Johnson. Here you go. All right, Ryan Paul Johnson, how are you doing, brother? Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Doing very well, bro. Thanks for inviting me. Fantastic. I was I was really excited about this episode. I uh, hope you've been well with uh, all the quarantine stuff and and your show at Improv Mania uh going into hiatus. How how have you been dealing with that? Uh yeah, we've been it's been okay. I guess it has been hard not getting to perform, you know, but we found 
I think the nice thing I really we started making a lot of videos. I started making more videos um, before the quarantine. I was I was very uh, I didn't want to do videos. I was like scared of it, apprehensive. Um, but then after you make a few, it kind of gets fun. So I think that's the, for like all of us over there in Promania. Probably actually creating videos has been it's been really good for us as far as that goes. So videos, as in you're doing online shows and uh, and recording those. Yeah, so we do an, uh, a weekly online live, we're doing it Facebook Live and YouTube Live. But then each week we're just we get to we record bits and sketches and then submit those. So the show is a combination of of videos and then live production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure. And I think like with with stand up, it still works uh, pretty decently. Uh, it's not ideal, but you could do an online show. But with improv, I think it gets a little sketch because improv is a lot about the energy of the room, like the general zeitgeist of everybody's thinking in the in the room. It's yeah. really important with improv, so that's got to be odd for people doing improv. Yeah, we haven't. Yeah, I haven't done any of the online improv, and I think we even we started. Dave over there, he did. He tried to teach a class, mm-hmm. and he kind of realized right away. He's like, "Oh, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> you can't, do, <laughs> can't do this like that." So yeah, you can't be like you know giving people cues to jump into a next joke when you when you're buffering. yes exactly yeah and and that's what i kept saying like i did a few shows here and there and even online shows i say like the shaming your internet speed is like the new slut shaming (laughs) people keep calling you out for having shitty internet and you feel bad about it for some reason like it's your fault right (laughs) yeah yeah exactly like it's my fault that cox sucks in my area yeah exactly yeah it's crazy i know yeah, fantastic, dude. And like, I, I want to like start out talking about this real quick because you you post a lot of videos online, on your on your social media, flexing about all the cool things that you do. Like, you know, it may be like the adaptive water sport, water sports that you're into, or just workout videos, your physiotherapy videos, and like, you know, they're they're pretty badass. So I just like, uh, oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, can you talk about those the the the, the water sports and the ad- adaptive water sports part of it and uh, how? How do you get into that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so this is 21 years ago, 1999. I broke my neck in a snowboarding accident. Um, and then from there, I went and did all my uh, my rehab stuff at uh, the Barrow Neurological Institute. It's at St. Joseph's, downtown Phoenix. Um, and they're just a, it's a really great uh, rehab facility. And while I was there... Doing my rehab, I met um, a gal named Joe Crawford, and she was my recreational therapist. And she started an event uh, through Barrows called Day on the Lake, um, which was just the opportunity. It provides access to um, water sports for people affected by neurological disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, um, cerebral palsy, kind of all of that stuff Mm. um so she ran that um through barrows for 20 years and um every year she would ask me invite me to come out and do it uh like after i broke my neck you know after with my disability so she Mm. asked me for 14 years to go and do it and i was like so anxious i wouldn't do it for all that time and when i finally told her yes um that was like seven years ago now uh, i was like okay i'll come out and i'll do it and uh, the very first time I 
that I, you know, they pulled me around the lake, uh, mm-hmm. on a sit ski. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it just like really changed my head. It made me realize that there was so much more that I could do with my life that, you know, mm-hmm. I was, I was basically holding myself back because yeah. of fear and anxiety. Um, and so because I went out and did the water sports, uh, went water skiing with them, uh, I kind of, that's the thing that gave me the courage to start stand up comedy. Uh-huh. Um, like I'd always wanted to do stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just anxious, afraid, kind of the same thing about the water sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I'm wasting my life. <laughs> I felt, you know, there's, there's so much more I could be doing. Yeah. So the water um, sport was like a, a metaphor almost that you can jump in and do something else you're uncomfortable with. That sort of a deal. Yeah. Well, and what, so what I realized after, so I did that and then I, then the water sports as a whole organization, we broke off from, from the Barrow Neurological Institute. So we, uh, my friend Joe formed Arizona Adaptive Water Sports um, as a nonprofit, and then I joined the board of there. So I'm like one of the board members of that group. But what we've discovered is that when people come out to the lake for the very first time, like two thirds of people who come out will then go afterwards and do something brand new with their life that they've always wanted to do. So it's like it opens mm-hmm. this door in the minds of people's, especially people with disabilities heads to like everything yeah. that they can do. Um, yeah, yeah I now I, I speak on confidence and mm-hmm. uh, kind of where it comes from and like how you you can use any event that's really scary for you to create the confidence you need or want to do any other thing you want to yeah. do. So yes. for sure, that's yeah. that's that's super interesting because I had never thought of it through that lens that, you know, you, you do like people do ludicrous stuff. They do like, you know, crazy adventures, bungee jumping, you know, whatever it may be like. But I thought that almost that event was in isolation and I didn't like put it in the context of people's lives and like now that makes sense if you like do one thing that is so uncomfortable you know and it's it's a crazy yeah. thing you're doing right you're like just hanging by a thread yeah. to, to a speedboat essentially right? yeah and you do that like that kind of just like opens up these like different pathways and you're in your brain to think that yeah i did this and i survived and like you know i can do all yeah. these other things it's like we all live inside our comfort zones all the yeah. time and most people, we want to feel confident before you kind of do the new thing. But the only way to get confident at anything is by doing it over and over again, you know, and being yeah. bad at it in the beginning. So, um, yes, like I, I tell people, like, if you wanted to, I don't know, start a podcast, if you went and jumped out of an airplane, you know, today yeah. you went skydiving. Dude, the, the podcast tomorrow would be no problem. <laughs> yeah, dude, let me just tell something about that. Fuck all of you guys who are thinking about trying uh, starting a podcast. I did this. <laughs> like, there's five billion podcasts out there. We don't need more of you. <laughs> they didn't need more of me either. But I'm fucking jumping in on the bandwagon. So, like, yeah. let's fucking cut the brakes yeah. on more podcasts. So, yeah. Okay. So bacon pies. <laughs> you want to start pies, bacon yeah. pies? Yeah. yeah. Bake a fucking cherry pie. Like that's yeah. that's what you want to. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> 
so yeah so so and like so there's like uh, so there's a psychological aspect to this right if you have you have if you have a certain disability and you're, you're going out and doing these water sports but is there also like therapeutic value to it in terms of physical therapy or is it just mostly just psychological and and helping you think clearly uh, no that's yeah that's a great question actually it um i tell well the way I kind of see is like wakeboarding saved my life in a way um, yeah. because it's like now every summer I know that I'm going to be going out and, and wakeboarding and, and talking to people and doing this event. So because I know it's coming, um, it's just encouraged me to get in the gym and just continue to work out. Um, yeah. When I f- So seven years ago when I started going out there, um, I saw someone stand up and wakeboard and uh, with my disability i was like oh my gosh like i would really i think i could do that you know and so i started working out basically just to try and and wakeboard and it took me three years to do it but i was finally able to like get up and ride a wakeboard after you know three years in the gym yeah pardon my ignorance dude i'm i'm from india okay like people don't wakeboard there people have wakes (laughs) because a lot of people die so i don't know what is a wakeboard Okay, wakeboard. So it's just like um, it's like a snowboard on water, mm. right? you know. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. But you ride it standing up. Uh, um, most of the events uh, out there sitting down because people, you know, a lot of people like lost their legs. They can't stand up. Mm-hmm. So there aren't a ton of yeah. I mean, it just was one of those events where there were people who were doing it, and it was like the next. I didn't. Yeah, it was like my next level. So, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. Yeah, I stay in, I work out now regularly, pretty much just because of the wake, you know, just because of the water sports. I know it's going to be there, so I want to be ready yeah. for it when it comes. Yeah, just not, like always, I, even I have found that, like, you know, any sort of a workout or any, anything you're training uh, on, there's it's it's a million times better when you have something to look forward to yep. and there's like you know if if i if I like i i run a lot and i i like running and like the um, i like running just like that but it's like a thousand times i'm thousand times more motivated to go out and run if i have a race coming up you know Dude, if i have a marathon yeah. coming up that's that's like you know it, it's just just a game changer i don't know maybe that's how the human brain works but like you need you need the carrot at the end yeah that's that's what it is I t- yeah, yeah I yeah I think when you go to the gym you really need to be training for something you know because like yeah. I go to the gym and you see people they just walk on a treadmill for twenty minutes and they call it a workout you're like dude yeah. what are you training for you know <laughs> nothing yeah yeah not even life really so yeah I- I'm sure yeah. like there's some some value to like people just having having some sort of you know daily movement and and walking on the treadmill but yeah I'm right like if you want to like really like enjoy the process there needs to be some sort of a goal at the end yeah no i totally agree yeah so just like i don't know, bringing it back you know you 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 briefly mentioned it so like at the turn of the millennium uh, you know you you were a snowboarder and you had some sort of a an incident that you know that that changed so many things for you uh you want to like you know speak to you know what happened like you know where you were at you know and uh just, oh for just sure overall yeah i was um so it was uh 18 years old i was snowboarding at um big bear uh california Mm -hmm. and uh, i just came off a jump crazy and landed on the top of my head so it's kind of like i like dove into a shallow pool basically you know Mm -hmm. um so i came off a jump and landed on my head and as soon as i hit the ground um 
like I went, I was paralyzed from my neck down and it just felt like my whole body uh, fell asleep, that the pins and needles, tingly feeling, you know? Yeah, right at that second though, like right at impact. I don't uh, want to yeah. get into gory details, but like right on impact, you just felt like nothing, neck down sort yeah. of thing. Well, yeah, as I hit the ground and uh, I hit the ground, someone came over the jump kind of right after me and landed on me and I oh, like God. kind of, I fell or like I rolled or slid down the hill a little bit more and uh, I was laying on my face uh, but not like on the side of my head. I was kind of so I could breathe and look, but uh, I just went to get up. I had nothing. There was oh, I couldn't God. do anything. Couldn't move. Um, I could. I wasn't breathing very well either. Um, my uh, like my diaphragm had been paralyzed because mm-hmm. then I broke C four and C five. So it was like the fourth and the fifth from the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. It was, I don't know. I was probably laying in the. I don't know. It took me half an hour, twenty minutes yeah. before the uh, ski patrol got yeah. there. Um, what was going through your head? Uh, it was mostly. Uh, it's like I didn't know what was going on. You know, mm. I mean, there was like fear, but then a lot of just like, uh, like, not understanding. Mm. I think that's kind of the. I was in shock, I would guess, you know, it just didn't, nothing made sense to me. It probably, nothing really like clicked. Uh, and actually until I was, they were trying to put me in the ambulance, um, after they got me down the hill and like one of my arms had fallen off of the gurney and I didn't even know. And, uh, the guy at like the, my feet was like, Hey, put your arm up, put your arm up. And then the guy behind me, uh, at my head, he was like, Oh, he can't move. And he grabbed my arm and put it on the thing. Mm. And it was like he was, it was like I realized in that moment, like, fuck, <laughs> like yeah. I can't move. It's like he told me and it made, it all of a sudden made sense. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. So, so that good. was when, at that moment, it was when fear kind of <laughs> kicked in. And I, but more than anything, is I felt bad for everyone in my life like mm-hmm. i was thinking of like my parents my mom my sisters like my family just like dude i like what did i do to myself like i yeah. like i felt bad for them like i fucked up their lives yeah by, and, you know and you're thinking of like, what ifs like you know what if i never snowboarded what if i never came out to this weekend like like that kind of stuff also just like pescaring uh, you know go- going going through your head um if well yeah i think it was like after the accident you kind of have to go through like the the layers of grief you know Mm -hmm. seven levels or whatever the greek great um of grief and so yeah you start out as like yeah first was like you i think i'm gonna like wake up you know and it's gonna be a dream that's like what you're hoping for so yeah i went through all of that you know like yeah like hoping it was a dream and feeling bad and feeling depressed and then like uh, all like kind of trying to make a, a deal like with God, like yeah. oh, I'll be good if you fix me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you kind of go through all of it. Um, but it was like a real, I mean, the process of like kind of figuring out and coming to the understanding of, like what happened to me, it took, I mean, it took a while, you know, I was, um, I was in ICU for two weeks Mm-hmm. Um, right after the accident happened, they were pretty sure I was going to die. Um, they like had told my parents that it, they'd be, I'd be better off if they just let me go. 
because if I did survive and live, I was just, I was only going to be ahead. I'd have no movement below my neck and I'd be like on, have a feeding tube and a ventilator. Holy fuck, that was like a discussion. You, that was a point of discussion, even that or a poss- possibility. Oh, yeah. Well, they didn't, I mean, no one told me that, you know? They like, yeah, don't yeah. tell dead people you're dying. Yeah. You're dying people you're dying, you know? <laughs> um, but like, so yeah, I had like, I was in California and like tons of people were visiting me. It's like all my friends from like high school, people I hadn't seen forever were coming to see me. Um, and it was like a really weird, like, I don't know this isn't. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't seem uh, good. Like there's these people I haven't talked to in four years visiting me, like shit is going down or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then I, well, my, my mom tells the stories like they told her, like, ah, or my, my mom, my dad, you know, he's probably going to die. You should just let him die. And then my mom, like, freaked out. It was like, no way. Like, you can't. Like, I want you to try and save him. You know? Man, like, don't do fucking everything. euthanize my 18-year-old. What the fuck, dude? Who's even right. having these conversations? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. So, so she was like, ah. she's like, after I told him, you know, it was like, you got you to gotta save him. It's like, yeah, they started working on you. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like, oh, thank God, you know, thanks, mom. So yeah, yeah, Jesus. So there's like a they had to do surgery. Like you said, like your your you kind of uh, fractured or broke your your vertebral column C four C five. So they what they go in and put plates in and stuff. Yeah. So they did. Um, that's yeah. I went in the in the very first day I got to the hospital. They put me in traction. Like they screwed. Uh, bolts into the side of my head and then hung like 25 pounds of weight like off the back of the bed to like pull me to pull my neck back into the right position um so i was like that for like 10 hours 15 hours um and then they took me into surgery and they went in through like the very front of my uh like the front of my throat basically and um they took bone out of my hip and made like replacement vertebrae for oh, wow. me. So it's like I got like my hip bone is like in my neck, and then they there's a little plate on the front of my like I guess like where my Adam's apple would be that mm. uh, that kind of holds the whole thing together. So it's C three, four, or is it? I think three, four, C three, four, and five are all fused oh, together on me. Really? So they. So they had to take something from your hip, like they couldn't, like the something uh, synthetic, um, like an alloy or something. That's that's uh, that's not what they typically do. No, I don't for want to the, like. Oh, for the bone, it's either like for that kind of thing. They either use like replacement cadaver bone, yeah, um, or they use your own okay. bone marrow. I don't so even, you... I dude, I don't understand it. But it's like <laughs> the like tip of my right hip is just like it's not there like oh, yeah. chopped it off so, so yeah. it was the, the options you had was either you know hunk take a hunk off of your uh, of your hip bone or, or a homeless guy in the in, yeah. in the mall yeah. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> I mean I don't insane. know how they decide which you know some people <laughs> think why they get the homeless guy but yeah, yeah. And I was they use my own bone for it yeah. yeah it's like really like mind blowing man just thinking about somebody going through those experiences like you know I've, I've had like you know uh, one millionth of, of that trauma and like you know I still think about some of that stuff and uh, just just your whole life basically <laughs> collapsing right like it's, it's essentially like at that moment you're everything is just 
done like it's 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 flattened yeah. out it's just like if you had a house you know they demolished it and they leveled the ground now you have to like build it back up again yeah at the no, age man. of 18 yeah dude that's yeah that's exactly it i like the the person i was before yeah that that kid died you know yeah. then and then like yeah i've had to spend it's weird it's been 20 years but i kind of feel like I feel like a 22 year old or something like in a way uh-huh. like I've lived 22 years in this body and uh it's taken me a while to get real comfortable like with this guy and being yeah just being confident you know yeah, that's, that's taken that's time. a real nice way to put it like you feel like you're 22 because that's where your you know genesis was your birth of the Ryan yeah you know, Ryan as as he is today was was after after you went through that traumatic incident Dude, yeah, no, that is a lot of. I mean, maybe I think I told, I tell myself, I've, I've told myself that just to make the confidence thing. Like, mm-hmm. dude, you don't need to be super confident. You know, you've only been, you're only 15 years old. <laughs> it's like you got to figure this uh, stuff out. I so. mean, yes, it may get tricky in some places. You know, you're like, oh, I'm only 15, and then you're married and have children, oh. so that'd be weird. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm doing really good for a 15-year-old. Yeah, like, see, I'll give you that. I'll concede this to you. Like, you know, with with the stuff that you've been through, I'll give you, like, okay, you're 22 now. But, like, you know, the people who who have birthdays on February 29th? Right, And and they're, like, 60 years old. They're like, I'm only 15. I'm like, just get the fuck out of here, dude. That's not how the concept of time works. (laughs) Right. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'll take a... Yeah, I'm 40 and I'll get all the the props or everything I get along with being 40. But mindset wise, yeah, I I give myself a lot of grace, being like, dude, I'm, I'm young. It's okay to mess up. Yeah, for sure. So, like, and 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 just one more thing on this incident because it's just like you know me just even trying to put myself in that situation is like such almost a scary prospect. Was there like during in that course of time, you know, maybe six months and one year, and as you're starting a recovery process. Was there like an aha moment, like an inflection point when where you like, you know, really kind of uh, started making progress or or was it just gradual? Oh, yeah, time? no. Um, so, yeah, so I was in ICU for, for two weeks and then they brought me back. Um, they flew me back here to Arizona and uh, uh, put me in at St. Joe's Hospital and I started doing the physical therapy stuff. Um, every day they would you know work on me doing different things and uh it was it was like every day there was a little something new um that i could like work and push on and they would you know they would it was like basically every day they'd check me and they'd be like oh this little thing is new we're gonna work on this today um but it was like so basic man it's like the first thing i had to learn to do was roll over and then and that took I took a week to, you know, to be able to figure that one out. Um, but I think the real, um, I was probably like a month in. So I, I broke, it happened in January is when I fell. And then I took my first steps or my first step in March on, a on St. Patrick's day. Um, but I think it was probably, I, it's probably like two weeks before that. So I'd say like the beginning of March, mm-hmm. um, I was in physical therapy and they wanted to see, like, I, I just was able to stand up for the first time. Um, and that was kind of the moment I was like, if I can stand up, I can get everything back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, 
but I think, yeah, the standing, cause I had been doing a lot of different, you know, like stuff, but it wasn't, nothing felt as concrete as mm-hmm. that moment, oh, like yeah. standing up. I was like, man, I can get this back. So. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's like symbolic. It's so symbolic. You're standing, you're back on your feet sort of a thing. It's just for somebody yeah. in that position, I think would be, you know, it would do wonders to, to the, 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 you know, to your psychology to your mind to your mindset yeah yeah for sure so but yeah i think that was the moment and then i was, I was in the hospital for four months and when i uh and when i by the time i left um i was still in a wheelchair um but i could get out of it and i could like walk around and stuff um it was funny the wheelchair though that i went home with was too big for like to get in through the doors of my house like I could get through the front door but I couldn't get into the bathroom and Mm -hmm. stuff so I just started using uh the walker Mm -hmm. that they sent me home with instead of the wheelchair and uh same then I couldn't that wheelchair also wouldn't fit in my friend's cars because we were like in high school and they all big speakers in the trunk and shit you know yeah yeah so I had the same thing there. I just started using the walker to yeah, get around. Yeah, fuck was the like, wheelchair. We need, we need to play Jay-Z on this right now. Yeah, That's what right? we need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, dude, I was just like super slow with a walker for, mm. for yeah, long time. And then it was like I was able to get a little stronger. And I still feel like um, I can still like see how when I work out, if I'm consistently at it, it's, it makes me, yeah, I get around a lot easier than if i'm just sitting around doing nothing yeah and, and you've been you've been at it all these years just enough physiotherapy and then just working out and so you still work with a physical physical therapist I, I believe yeah well what i have now is just a it's a he's a personal trainer and a, yeah like my coach i call him um but he took i started working out with his name is uzor i started working out with Uz. um maybe four years ago now, but he basically was like, I had been kind of working out on my own and then had a bunch of different things, but he was like, dude, we got to rebuild you. You know, we got to like start from the very, Mm -hmm. like your core. Mm -hmm. And so he's really worked with like, he worked with me on like a lot of small, tiny things that like, I wasn't even, you don't think about or care about, you know, it's like, I want to do bench press. I don't Mm want to, you know, hold my stomach in while I sit. So, yeah 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 For yeah sure. but so it's been like a re yeah i felt like the past yeah the past five years four years have been like huge for me as far as my having a person to like tell me what to do to you know rebuild because when i was doing it on my own it was like yeah i wasn't i was in the gym all the time but i yeah, wasn't the, training for anything you know <laughs> so yeah there was, wasn't structure yeah. around it yeah and it didn't like i didn't really matter it was more like a box i was trying to check Mm-hmm. Um, instead of being like, ah, oh, I want to, you know, I need to be strong. I need to be strong for the water. So, yeah, man, that's that's fantastic, and uh, I, I'm really glad we we could touch upon this and talk about this. But apart from uh, having this yeah. amazing story and this this amazing recovery, and then uh, being uh, all around badass, you're also a person <laughs> who hawks real estate. <laughs> so. And yeah. real estate is such an interesting thing. It's like an enigma, and I'm like, you know, thoroughly fascinated by the the invisible strings that that pull the puppets of real estate. So I definitely wanted you know to talk about some aspects of that. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the point being, I think real estate is fascinating and I'm, I'm, I'm literally glad that, that, you know, I have somebody I can talk to who's an expert in that field and knows what's going on. So what is going on with the real estate? Like we had this global pandemic and I would have thought, okay, so fucking shit is hitting the fan. So now they got to like just sell us houses because people can't afford houses. But I keep checking. I yeah. just keep checking the Zestimate. It's still the same fucking thing, dude. Like, it's still, like, in a shitty, like, broken, like, uh, what do you call it? Tool shed of a house and, like, Central Phoenix is still three, four dollars $400,000, you know? So, yes. so yeah. what's going on with the pandemic? Like, I think that's a great place to start. Oh, yeah. Um, so, well, like, it, like any market, um, it's, it's uh, supply and demand determines, you know, kind of what prices are going to be and where prices are going to be at. So when Phoenix went through the uh, housing crisis, you know, like 10, 12 years ago, um, there was a big long time. There were like eight years where there were no new houses being Mm -hmm. built in Phoenix. Um, So in a normal year, there would have been thousands of houses built, you know. So they stopped building houses, but people kept moving to Maricopa County, to Phoenix. We're like the fastest growing uh, county in America. Yeah. So there were like 200 people every day last year moved here. Oh, wow. um, but what they've been, what they'd stopped since they stopped building houses, what they did build was like giant apartment complexes. Hmm. So all over Phoenix, there's these huge apartment complexes that are like people holders. Um, so now uh, those people, renters, they want to buy houses. Um, and there's lots, there's so many people who want to buy houses, mm-hmm. but because we didn't build houses, we're at a deficit of, of inventory for Phoenix. Um, and it's been that way for the past easily five years um, where there's just way more demand than there are houses available. Mm. Um, and so because of that, uh, that just that's exa- what's keeping the prices up right. and that's okay. what's keeping appreciation moving forward. Right. Um, Is that true of uh, the, the entire country more or less? You know, I, I'm not, you know, it'd be tough for me to speak to the whole country, yeah. you know? Um, I think that that, I don't, yeah, I think that any place that was hit really hard, like Vegas or parts of California, Colorado, uh, New Mexico, that there, I could see a similar deficit as far mm-hmm. as like the amount of properties available, but something that's what's really unique about Phoenix is that compared to like all the other more developed areas where that people move here from our prices are, are really great. They think Mm. it's a really great value. Relatively speaking for the people moving in from, from New York or Boston or or whatever it may be. Yeah. Chicago, California, Colorado, almost everywhere where people are moving from to here, like they see, the three hundred thousand dollar house, and they're like, yeah. "Dude, that's you know, that's easy eight hundred uh, back home." So okay, I see. So it's like a little bit of obviously multivariate, multi-factor thing, like like anything else. So yeah. just sticking with the first point of okay, so there was the housing market crashed essentially in two thousand eight for you know of whatever the fuck people were doing back then, just giving uh, you know six hundred thousand dollar lines of credit to dog walkers or you know, yeah, whatever was exactly. going on back then right so then yeah. like 
then a lot of all these foreclosures happened and there was an excess of inventory at that point so prices were really cheap and then people right. were like we have an excess so let's not build anymore and they stopped building well, did and sorry then well it's not exactly like that what happened mm-hmm. was is they were building so everyone could get houses so the whole the whole financial crisis was built on the back of real estate you know yeah so there were when all those people who shouldn't have had houses you know lost their you know jobs they couldn't pay when the bottom fell out of the market um those all turned into foreclosures and like short sales and that's that was exactly when i started in the business was right when everything was crashing Mm -hmm. um and i learned to negotiate short sales which is when you when a person sells their house short of what they owe the bank you know they're selling it for less um than what they owe and so i learned how to negotiate between you know sellers and their their banks to get them out of the houses you know so they could sell it and and move on like basically um, cut their losses and move on sort of a thing oh yep yeah, yeah, yeah exactly okay so but when so yeah so that happened right and our market crashes because now there's tons and tons of inventory and all those there's no buyers anymore all those people who you know they're giving bad mortgages to that goes away so all of a sudden the only people who can buy houses you know are either super rich or have really good credit um and so then like the recovery is the housing recovery is really built on investors and then you know the the first-time home buyers and other people that they were trying to get into the market at that time um but yeah phoenix has become like when it happened, so much of our housing stock ended up going to investors. Mm. Um, so like, I don't know. It's, it's I hate it. What Wall Street like crashed the market mm-hmm. out there by selling paper. You know, they reselling the mortgages. They yeah. you know they ruined the whole thing. And then the market crashes and all the prices come down. And then all those same people, hedge fund guys, they came into all these markets and they bought houses uh, so they, they fucking uh, got it from like you know they they ate the pizza from the from both the ends essentially like they're like you know they yep. took advantage of the first thing which they fucked up and then after the fuck up then they bought things on pennies to the dollar you do yeah i mean they yeah they fucked it up and they crashed the market and then took full advantage of it afterwards after the prices came yeah. down so yeah, so when you say really, invest, yeah, when you say investors are buying it, like what does that mean? Like, but like they buy it now, they have it. That's their investment, but still somebody's got to live in them. So it's just renters living in those uh, houses. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh-huh. So they built. So you get a ton of rental properties. You kind of clump them all together, and you create what's called a real estate investment trust. Yeah, and then you can sell shares and that trust to people, mm-hmm. but. The value, yeah, it comes from people paying rent year, you know, month after month of all these places. But then also the you get the appreciation of the value. So those houses are continuing to go up and up every year as well. Um, now, there isn't any money as far as like that equity. You don't get all that until they sell the properties. Um, and that's kind of the when I look out at the future and I wonder like where inventory could come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's where it would have to come from in my head is like some investors are going to have to get really nervous and they're going to be like dude we're we got to sell our house now before you know before prices go down 
And I think if you saw, I don't know, I think that would be the thing. Hmm. It would have to be like investors begin dumping properties. Interesting. Um, and you know, because then that's now we have inventory that creates a lot of inventory. Now there's like, if we got to, you know, I mean, but easily where we're at, I mean, we could have, when I started, it was really normal for there to be like 30,000 houses for sale all the mm-hmm. time. Okay. And now it's like 6,000. Wow. So it's just, yeah. And then yeah. the pandemic's making it all that much worse too. Yeah. So, so. It's the, the fucking, so, so the housing market has essentially been what toilet, toilet paper was in March. That's what's going on with this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> wow. It's just, well, yeah, but it's been, um, the demand has been there. Yeah. It's like every house I've sold probably for the last four or five years has had multiple offers on it. Like my listings I'll sell with multiple offers. And then if I'm representing buyers, we're always competing against other people. So it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, so these investors, right? Uh, so they're building these REITs and then there's like an essentially like a investment vehicle where people can invest. They don't really want to live there. Renters can live there. And you know, right. the, the revenue, there's a revenue stream. People can get dividends and then there's yeah. appreciation that like, you know, uh, tie into the, the value of the stock or however the REIT is trading, if it's private or public, whatever. So there's like a whole ecosystem built in there. Yeah. So now, mm-hmm. but I could see that. So I could see like I live in a in an apartment complex. I could see this being a real estate investment trust. Like, but individual houses, I would think like it'd be scattered. I know they they wouldn't be grouped into like one spot. So they could be like you know somebody could have just bought out like these this fucking evil hedge fund guy whoever that is. He could have bought like five hundred houses from in different parts of town. Like, do they club those also as a REIT and then rent it out and then like do the same thing so geography is not really important yeah no exactly because um, they'll they just put a property manager in place and so like where the houses are at doesn't I mean they're all in like Phoenix you know but they have mm. they hire a company that just takes care of it for them yeah so there are there were lots of people hedge fund guys that came in and bought up subdivisions you know mm. where they bought whole they mm. You know they own a whole subdivision you know they have yeah. a thousand houses um so there's that kind of stuff that happened but then there's also tons of people who just like houses you know were like sixty thousand dollars so they just picked them up where they could um so it's just like maricopa county they're all clumped together but mm-hmm. they're all over the valley so um but yeah it's the same it works basically the same thing as the apartment you know Complex. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, like, uh, this the, is there an element of there's a lot of fear mongering about foreign nationals coming in here and just hoarding houses, all these Chinese and Middle yeah. Eastern fucking sheiks hoarding, yeah. hoarding houses. I'm a foreign national. I've been living in the United <laughs> States for six years. I'm not hoarding shit, dude. I'm fucking. I'm probably hoarding like all the candy wrapper that I eat at night as I cry myself to bed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> is there like elements of truth to that? Like, like alpha foreign nationals, like these. Are, fucking oil these these people with oil money and like you know maybe chinese tech money sweatshop money coming in and buying houses in beverly hills and like the houses are three million dollars now yeah <laughs> i mean there, that <laughs> does short that, <laughs> yeah i mean that is going on for sure i mean it's just like america's a safe bet you know i mean yeah. people like they look ah, it looks like and the way 
that the real estate values go. Yeah, so many people have come in and bought. Yeah, it's like New York City prices are crazy and California mm-hmm. prices and all that. But even in, like, I've heard people speculate that mm-hmm. the the Chinese, like the, you know, could potentially like ruin our housing market again. Uh, or ruin our housing market by just unloading all the properties they own. Like I've heard people say, like, "Oh yeah, if, they, if China wanted to, I mean, granted, please go ahead and do that. Yeah. That would work out perfectly for me." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the. But I've heard people like speculate that, like, ah, uh-huh. if we're gonna have a crash, it'll just be they could, you know, sell everything they own. But it's, again, then it goes back to the individual people. Mm. It's not like the Chinese government owns yeah. it. You know, it's yeah, maybe a little bit of yeah. it. There's a little oh, bit sure. of a <laughs> Xi and Xi Jinping uh, kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> pulling the strings. But yeah, you're right. Like there's just uh, privately wealthy uh, individuals who think America is a safe bet. But maybe that uh, sentiment is uh, is dwindling a little bit. Like what was going on in the last six months. This yeah. America is a safe haven. Um, theory i think is proving itself to be wrong yeah uh, yeah well i mean the pandemic is really yeah i mean it's messing with everybody but we've done a really piss poor job at taking care of it that's for sure um yeah. the real like what's scary now or weird now is like what kind of it's like what happens next you know like where like we've kicked the we've kicked the cliff down a ways but we're still coming up on it so i'm really interested to see if there is going to be a huge eviction thing like like we've been hearing about where there, yeah. you know is there going to be this like wave of evictions mm. and then kind of like that's my thing is like well what, what does that look like then if all mm. these people are out of the houses oh, um, is there are there enough people to turn around and get into those houses again um or apparently they are. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's people, yeah, people who are in apartment complexes who want, you know, I don't know. So, but I've still been selling houses and still have people who feel really confident, you know, that they're like, they're excited hmm. to get places out here. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, so this whole evictions business, so it's like right now it's federally mandated, or I don't know, state is mandating it. No, no evictions cannot happen right now, and it's extended to whatever date. I'm not sure what the date is, yeah. but that doesn't mean like you're not gonna get evicted right after if you miss payments and whatever, like you know, whatever violations are met, then you still can get evicted. So it's just uh, kind yeah. of pushing it under the rug for now until there's a big lump on it. Well, yeah. Yeah, because what's ha- they've said like you can't evict people, but they didn't say you can't um, start the eviction process. You mm-hmm. know, so there's lots of people who like they filed all the paper. Like it's basically it's all done. You know, like Joe's evicted the day one when they <laughs> say <laughs> like you know what I mean. It's like evictions can start now. It's like yeah. you know the landlord's done everything he needs to do to get that guy out day one. Yeah, Joe's um, uh, dead man walking like is yeah. everything's written. The writing is on the wall. That's and yeah, and that's the scary. I mean, that's I don't know. It's like that's like Great Depression stuff. You know, you want to. I don't know. You, you, you don't. You know, I don't know. It's it's crazy. So. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Like with just uh, if if a bunch of people get evicted, I mean, there's going to be interesting ways in which it plays out, and the market and the prices and there's the the balance of the supply and demand would change 
that dynamics that'd be interesting but like just on a humanitarian level like you know people are out of jobs yeah. uh, in specific yeah. industries and like you know there's like a 1200 dollar check that went out but i'm not sure like how you know how how useful it was um in yeah. how useful it would be for people to protect themselves against evictions but there's unemployment so there's like a lot of factors i don't think just like everybody's thrown to the dogs per se because there is unemployment there is help it's not ideal but there's something there yeah. and the economy yeah. still has some stuff going on but like there's specific sectors that are fucked essentially do yeah like all the service areas and all that um mm-hmm. which we like my uh I, my brother-in-law he owns a, a dropship warehouse in gilbert mm-hmm. and uh he was saying his biggest problem was that people like the unemployment checks people were getting with that 600 dollars bonus was more money than they would get if they were working yeah. so he was like dude i can't he's like no one will work yeah. for me like i can't so you gotta outcompete the unemployment check like that you're in competition with the unemployment check as an employer yeah yeah and so right yeah that's what exactly what you're competing against like people beginning to be lazy and stay home and you know make eight hundred dollars a week or yeah. you know have they have to come to work and you have to pay them more than that and people, yeah. she's like dude and, they and can't <laughs> yeah there's no money he doesn't have money to pay more than that yeah so. and like it, it's not only that you just don't have to pay them eight hundred and one dollars they yeah. would have just they're getting the eight hundred dollars for staying home <laughs> right you need to pay them twice as much if you like really like kind of do any sort of pricing analysis then yeah you'd be like paying roughly twice as that and i don't think the job uh, your brother-in-law is hiring for us is that's the market price truly. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah no it's uh so like i think we need to keep giving people money but it's like i don't know could we give them a little less i don't know it's one of those where it's like what do you yeah, yeah dude, it's like you're gonna I'm you're not, gonna get a lot of heat for that, Ryan, to say giving people less money. Uh, but no, I I I kind of see what what you're saying, and I I partially agree with you too. That I mean, dude, there's got to be some sort of a yeah. sense here because somebody's got to pay for that money. The Fed is just printing that shit, like you know. Oh right, like, yeah, it's monopoly money, it's fake yeah. money. It, yeah, I mean, they can just keep printing it and giving it to us but then what <laughs> you know yeah. i don't know so then like the your everybody's dollars that they actually have right now is going to keep getting lower in value right yeah well these, potentially that's mm-hmm. that's the fear of inflation right yeah yeah and so, like these houses we're talking about and prices are just only going to go keep going up everything's just everything's going to cost more yeah right. well it's, yeah so i mean right now too there's areas of phoenix that i'm like I push really hard on people like that. I want people to buy in because mm-hmm. I think even like the way real estate works anyway is like prices go up and prices go down. There's like there's cycles to the whole thing. You know, yeah. it's like they're 30 years, 40 years, whatever mm-hmm. there are. There's things that happen. Um, but then there's areas that, you know, that kind of always end up doing better than other areas. And so like South Scottsdale is one of those areas that it, when it like went down the prices um they went down pretty far um kind of like everywhere but they've bounced back so much farther than than a lot of other places it's crazy how much those houses are going for um another area i see is in chandler it's the price corridor where chandler's done a really great job of bringing in like jobs high-tech jobs Mm -hmm. and companies and there's still there's still a lot of dirt 
where they're going to be building corporate headquarters, you know? So it's, there's this area of town that's like, you're able to buy property next to Apple, you know, before they built the Apple plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So something, something is in the, was that an example or is something in the works where Apple is, is coming to to Chandler? Uh, it's not Apple, but Intel, mm-hmm. you know, Intel's Intel, yeah. here already mm-hmm. and they're in process of building a huge plant, um, in Chandler and they're, I mean, it's something like 2000, like amazing jobs, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's just that, that little area, but right now there's like Wells Fargo is there and PayPal's there and yeah, there's other, um, like, uh, other semiconductor companies yeah. also that, that yep, they're high yeah. tech stuff. Yeah, so that's independently Chandler doing it. I thought it's just a happenstance that they're in Chandler as opposed to Tempe, but it's the city of Chandler kind of, uh, you know, like doing shit right. Yeah, well, it's it's like a, it's city of Chandler's kind of like their 30-year plan, you know, um, where they designated specific areas as industry um, mm. and for, for business. And then they've pushed really hard, the city's pushed hard to bring those jobs in. So, like, if you look at a city like Gilbert, Gilbert has no jobs, you know? They're just houses and service. There aren't a ton of, like, huge employer, you, yeah. you know, there's not, like, industri- industry or... Yeah. Uh, but Chandler has, you know, tons yeah. of just industrial property. There's, you know, where you just manufacturers. Um, you know, like, my father-in-law, uh, he owns a, a precision sheet metal company in Chandler. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he makes airplane parts for, uh, for the military, you know, mm. sells them to, to, sells them to Scottsdale. So, yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. Because I would think like Gil, things, uh, places like Gilbert would, the biggest employer there would be maybe Walmart or something yeah. like that. And just that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And which is, which is not a really good, uh, you know, like overall, uh, in yeah. a strategic direction or plan you would want to have for a city if you're trying to, you know, run the yeah. city or manage the city. So it's, yeah, I think Chandler's just been thoughtful, you know, they've done. Yeah. Interesting. I don't, they're, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can bitch about the way they did downtown. <laughs> I think downtown Gilbert, they did that a little better than Chandler, uh, but as far as jobs go, yeah, where Chandler's much better. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. definitely interesting. Uh, yeah. So, so we are talking about pricing and all of that, and we kind of hit it from a few different angles. One more thing, like another boogeyman uh, in all of this in like, especially residential real estate is uh, airbnb and oh, yeah. i know they you know they're they're pre- they're they're eating a lot of shit right now with the pandemic and uh, i don't know what their business model was but overall over the period of last 10 years they say airbnbs are fucking up residential uh you know like housing communities yeah. and the, the prices are going all out of whack i don't even know which ways the prices would go uh, i guess people would be like you know just hoarding houses and renting them out to airbnb so like you know you want to speak to that like what's going on what the fuck is airbnb doing Oh yeah, Airbnb is that's one of those interesting ones because there are so many people who yeah, who see that as like, you know, they can buy almost like a little hotel. You know, they can own this one thing and then certain times a year they get a lot more money and other times they get less. Um lots of HOAs uh have cut all that out. Um so they're like, yeah, they won't allow you to do the Airbnbs. Like we've seen that happen uh real recently. Um, but in like around South Scottsdale or like kind of popular sexy, you know, where there's events and fun things, 
there are a ton of Airbnbs and uh, yeah, the neighbors hate them. You know, yeah. it's like uh, one, one of my really great friends, they, uh, I helped them buy a piece of land across the street from the house they owned. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they bought that, they built this amazing house, but then uh, they didn't want to use me to sell their house. They're like, mm-hmm. cause houses were selling so fast. So they're like, Oh, we'll just, we'll sell it ourselves. Yeah. Um, oh, I so see where this is going. <laughs> they, yeah. So they sold it themselves to like this investment company who put in Airbnb. So now they have like across the street from it's the nightmare, you know? And I was like, oh, dude, God. yeah, if I had sold it, I just sold it to a family. You know? Yeah, yeah. You want to yeah. make those considerations. You don't want to send and sell it to this yeah. faceless fucking flipper entity. Yeah. Non existent entity. So in my it was one of, yeah, in my head I was like, I don't know. I look at it as like, you know, it's like retribution or justice yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. You know, that's what happens, you know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, the HOA is, like, do, are they well within their rights to, like, you know, like, say that, okay, we're not going to let you uh, rent out your house to Airbnb because you own the property, you know? You're, like, what you do in it, like, kind of, you know, more or less, it's your prerogative. You want to jerk off in every room every day. That's your prerogative. You know, you want to have people come in yeah. and stay there. still your prerogative. But I guess there's a little more complication with HOA rules. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, the eight, the... So within a subdivision, right, it's like basically it's majority rules. So if there's the majority of the people who are like, no, we don't want we don't want those in our community, um, they can pass rules and then that say that. And then you basically you have to adhere to it or they can fine you, you know, wow. um, and it's even the fines. It's not like uh, if you don't pay your fines, then the they can foreclose on your property. <laughs> so there's like what? things that. Yeah, you can't really get out from under HOA fees and things like mm. that if you've been messing around. You know, mm. you you're gonna have to pay those. I mean, even if when you sell the house, I've had properties where, um, when they sold, like three thousand, four thousand of dollars had to go back to the HOA just to pay for all the back fees and everything, mm. because the HOA is also has to kind of like release the property and allow them, you know, allow the sale to go through. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, how, I mean, how, the, how does uh, HOA get to wield so much power? Like, is there like any sort of federal regulation mandate that kind of gives them that power? Well, it's uh, every HOA is kind of like self-governed, um, wow. and so you. So it's basically like the um, there's covenants, CCNRs, covenants, codes, and restrictions hmm. um, that every HOA puts in place for the you know the housing development that's that's there um and really those codes initially they're set up by the the builder but then the people um who take once the people take over the hoa you know the homeowners they get to make all the rules then you know um they can change everything so that's so it's kind of like a it's a self-mandated or self-governed um like within the within the community Dude, it seems some sort of fucking loophole that some a bunch of people are exploiting i this HOA thing doesn't yeah. seem like uh, like a protagonist in any situation to me but what is said well what it does is um it's why they're there is they're supposed to protect property values that's why mm. people you know it's like we want some rules because we don't want to have people you know parking their cars on their you know the front lawns or you know whatever we don't want the paint to 
get chipped and peeling and we don't want your we don't want somebody to paint their house fluorescent pink that yeah. kind of stuff yeah everything you know so it's kind of like we they figure if you if we set all these rules and boundaries we're gonna at least yeah. keep the community to a certain baseline some sort of a standard yeah i yep. can see that yeah i can see that because like countries like india like there isn't like and any like real semblance of an hoe they probably <laughs> housing associations there but i don't i don't think they can dictate things like that's why you'd see like every house is going to be like you know a different color and everybody's just yeah. you know doing things that they want people just you know fucking uh, uh get take take a car extra three four inches and from their neighbor's land and like kind of just build a wall and like you know there's, there's all yeah. kinds of disputes that happen there and there's still lots of parts of Phoenix where there are no HOAs, you know, where you can do all that. You can drive around, you know, older parts and you can see, yeah, hmm. you can see all that stuff in Phoenix. So, so let me yeah. ask you, uh, Ryan Paul Johnson, are you pro HOA? Do you, do you endorse HOA? It's like, it's like I'm asking if you endorse the NRA. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it depends on like who it is, you know? So if I'm working with an investor and they're trying to find, you know something that's going to be easy to rent i tell them no hoa like yeah. you want to find you don't because you don't want the people who are there to supposed to be taking you know to be meeting those rules because they won't meet the rules they don't give mm. a shit yeah so if you're an investor i say yeah no hoa if it's like you and a family um i think yeah i'm i don't see any problem with them you know uh it's like in my mind it's like ideally you get a community that looks like they have an HOA, but mm. they don't. <laughs> that's oh, yeah, kind of but, the, yeah. Yeah, and, that's uh, a little idealistic. It, people people don't do the right thing. That's, that's yeah. I think, rule number one to understand is nobody does the right thing. <laughs> but it's, yeah. I mean, there are, there's a hand, there are a bunch of subdivisions I know of that are like that, you know, where it's no HOA, but it looks like it. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah, most people, you you want that HOA just so that your you know your neighbor is not gonna you know be yeah, a crazy I, cat person. I thought I can get like a hashtag going. No way HOA yeah. like or something. <laughs> but dude, you, you, there are people. Yeah, you there's some who are definitely on board. And then you have I'll have clients that are just like we do not want an HOA because you know we want to park an RV in our front yard. So mm, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It all goes that back to like what people kind of what their end game or goal is for that property hmm. so yeah you, you just like briefly spoke about um, or mentioned preserving value of the property like but so how is the value of the property determined i know there's supply and demand and that like kind of like give the general direction of where the property goes but how do you like get to the specific numbers the specific estimates oh yeah um well location i mean that's like the real estate thing location 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 mm -hmm. um but that's really that's the number one thing that determines the value of of property is where it's sitting yeah um because really and the thing that's i mean the thing that's really worth the money is the land that's the thing that's you know that's what's really worth the money the property that's sitting on the land of course makes a big difference if it's nice or if it's shitty mm -hmm. um but when you when you buy a when you buy a house, where you know the thing that's the most value is your land underneath it that it sits on. Um, so it is basically it's a determination of uh, 
yeah, supply and demand, like you said, uh, the location of the property and then the condition of that property compared yeah. to everything else around it. Yeah. Um, and you really, prices are set typically by the, what the last sale was, you know, hmm. if, so that's, you know, they, that's how I determine value of properties. When I go in to, to meet with a client, I just look at everything that's sold what's sold lately in their subdivision that's similar to theirs. Um, and then like what's sold in within like all the adjacent subdivisions is kind of like the next thing. And then I look at the zip code and just see overall how many houses are there available, you know, and then um, similar here is different. And it's kind of all those things Then you can point into the price, go to the value. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And what I was kind of like going for here um, with that question almost is, so there's supply, demand and location, which kind of ties into supply and demand for, for that location. I was thinking more on like a more, what is the mechanism? Like, how do you come up with the price? Because if you're like just talking about what did other houses which are similar to this in the similar in, a, in the same area, sell for is that mm. one of the things or are they like appraisals is somebody going in because that would be the like the most ap- accurate way to do it is to go in and like account like do an appraisal and account for everything and like a very like statistically sound way so to say so there wouldn't be any funny business because i could think and this again coming from india this happens a lot in mm. india because you know somebody sells it you know somebody's desperate they buy it uh, buy one property on a markup so the next property that goes kind of takes inspiration from that that goes on a markup like even uh-huh. though the guy who's buying it now is not uh, in any desperation and that thing just cascades into now you're looking at you know 200 percent uh, appreciation in like two years which like should not happen like nothing yeah. changed really like the demand didn't change or the supply didn't change that drastically and then like that's all funny business that i was thinking like is there elements of that that are happening or is it like more grounded with more checks and balances um yeah so well what you described uh is like the appreciation like that that's what happened in the first housing bubble so because so many people could get houses like you know everyone and their mom could they'd give them the money to get it the appraisers um the yeah appraisers were basically just giving every value so like they were just saying like every next sale is you can be like five percent over the one that just closed so in so there really were no there were no like yeah stops in place there were no regulations in 2006 and so that's like what made the market go up and go crazy now um what's happened is they clamp down on the appraisers so like so the value of a property there's like the market value which is what um a, a buyer you know who has enough money is willing to pay pay you for the house so it's like market value um, and that's just determined by, you know, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you know, you have the appraiser um, and his job is to determine if the house is actually worth the money, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing about appraisals is and the way appraisers work is their job is to justify value to an investor or to someone else. So maybe the bank creditors. Yeah. Exactly. They're there just to make sure the bank 
knows that, you know, the house is worth what they're going to loan on the house. Um, when they go in though, what appraisers will basically, uh, they kind of do similar to what, to what a real estate agent does, where they just look at everything that's sold. And then they say, well, based on that, um, the price should be, you know, whatever it is, but because they start with the price. So the appraiser knows like, oh, we need this house to appraise for a hundred thousand dollars. So then they kind of start with that in mind mm -hmm. and they go looking to prove that yeah. it's worth that hundred thousand. Yeah, know? it's a fucking backwards ass way of doing things, right? It's like a hammer trying to find a nail yeah. sort of situation. But what is it but the thing with the whole thing is it's because the appraisers don't really set the values. The what sets the value of the house is the demand. You know, it's what can you get someone to mm -hmm. agree to pay for it. Right. So on the last, like, uh, I don't know, three, four houses, the one I just closed on, uh, this week, the appraisal came in. So I, the house is under contract for 395,000, but it appraised for 383,000. Mm -hmm. So now there's, so now we have that gap, you know, between, you know, was it seven grand, eight grand, mm -hmm. um, between like what? appraiser says it's worth and between what my what these people said they'd buy it for mm. so now i had to go back and do a renegotiation and make those those people pay the eight thousand dollars out of their pocket so they had to come up with that money yeah. to you know get to that that value um yeah and so that's kind of like because now they've paid that money and they went up and over the appraised value it's like they've they've proved now that that property is worth that much in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So now that becomes your next sold, you yeah. know, your, your next sold property. Interesting. Um, so, but be, yeah, but because there's so much, there's so many people with so much money available. Um, that's now that's how prices are uh, going up. Basically it's like good real estate agents figuring out how to get their people you know, more money yeah. than the bank says it's worth. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. So like any other commodity, like, you know, people want it and with just the context of there is lower and lower inventory as as time mm -hmm. has passed on, uh, that kind of also plays straight into the, the whole scenario that you're talking about. So yeah. like, so the initial 2008 bubble was because everybody was getting a house and then they kind of no, none of those people could afford a house and there were foreclosures. But we are kind of like, is there like some sort of a bubble happening now too? Because like, uh, are these houses really worth it? Because we know the stock market is in a bubble for sure. You know, it has been yeah. for at least the last, you know, last two, three years of Obama and like, you know, uh, you know, three years of Trump. It's, it's more or less just, it's just cascading of more bullshit to like, you know, keep, keep the, the value of the overall stock market right. high like is that uh, similar with with real estate because i know real estate is more tangible and they're not just making houses and they're doing their due diligence supposedly to who gets a line of credit and who gets to buy the house is there a bubble coming um i i don't see it i don't think there is um i mean there's yeah i think that somehow prices will go down i mean it could be it's possible that the pandemic and everything creates like a, a horrible, you know, recession where everything goes to shit. Um, yeah. You know, like a great depression kind of thing. Um, but I don't, uh, like I lost my train of thought. 
So yeah, you're talking uh, about you know, the effect. If there is a Great Depression that comes okay. in, then maybe there's going to be a problem. Yeah, but so like right, right now for the last I don't know, like basically since the bubble popped on real estate, so many regulations came into place where the only people who could buy houses had to have you know good credit, good jobs. So all the houses that have been sold in the last you know. 10 to 15 years hypothetically have gone to people or you know let's say eight years have gone to people who are really good strong buyers you know who yeah. have the money have the jobs can do the work and so we've seen prices um they haven't like jumped up prices have just like year over year continued to grow by like five six percent mm. um so we're currently at like the same price values or like prices for houses we were when the crash happened mm. back in 2007 but because we've gotten here gradually instead of getting here in the course of two years um i just don't see i don't see where that bubble's at you know to get to make it pop we need to, we need houses we need inventory yeah. and so i see so you're saying this yeah. is not a bubble this is more of like a solid spear like it's built itself up to this point yeah this is yeah it's been very it's been slow and it's been yeah progressive and built on you know people who have money and can afford it mm -hmm. so yeah but why aren't uh, people making more houses why aren't there more houses being built if there's such a dirt you're saying there used to be 30,000 houses on the market yeah. at any given point in time now there's 6,000 so that's like 20% of what it used to be well yeah so the thing is that yeah it's like they can't build them fast enough is like mm. the short you know what i mean right, so right. now they are still building houses but a couple of things happened was um when the crash happened so many people who lived here that did construction left they moved away they went somewhere else um so like phoenix is in uh there aren't enough people to build the houses that's another problem that we run into mm. so they're like most of the crews went to commercial real estate because there's a lot more money there than there was residential and now that the houses have come back um home builders have just had difficulty finding the employees you know to build them fast enough so interesting yeah that, that makes yeah. sense you know i was like i was not thinking about like you need actually need all these all this input of human resource and capital and time yeah. to build a house i was like yeah no, there's like you know very few houses then yeah build more fucking houses and yeah that's not as simple as that well yeah it's like they're on it but it's been you know turn time on a house is like yeah nine exactly to and by, yeah by the time you like build a certain number of houses like the demand has you know yeah. gone up even further you know there's more people moving in like you said what is that uh, 200 people every day that's yeah l last year the statistics were 200 people a day moved to maricopa county uh, yeah so interesting yeah. Yeah. So that's like about six thousand, sixty thousand people moving in every every year. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. So that's kind of the. That's, people have said you know if you right now in the real estate business like my business if the name of the game is getting listings you know, because um, if you get a listing it's it'll definitely sell you know there's hmm. like every house is gonna sell. Um, the hard part is working with buyers um, and like getting them the, the properties mm. um, because they're competing with you know all the other buyers out there. So um, 
I don't know. They have to, one, they have to be like great buyers. They have to be better than everybody else. But then they need um, someone to coach them on writing the offer that the people are going to accept. If that makes sense too. So, hmm. yeah. I mean, what um, do you mean by being a good buyer? Like, like fucking, um, you just pay the, you have the highest bid. He's the best buyer, right? Yeah. Okay. So, like in the industry, um, there's all kinds of different loan products available. Mm-hmm. So there's a um, a product that's uh, zero down, so the right. people can have no money at all, um, and and buy the house. And they can you can negotiate so that the sellers will cover your closing costs. So I've had like I've had luck with my friends who don't have any money getting them into kind of shitty properties, um, or like not as nice a house because of kind of that whole thing you know i used to call the people without money and that are kind of like relying on grants and the system to to give them the money to buy the house mm-hmm. um they're good people they're bad buyers you know what i mean mm-hmm. they're just they just don't have they yeah. can't compete so yeah so a good buyer is basically someone who has liquid assets available right. and is motivated to get into that neighborhood right. so I see. yeah yeah. I see. So it's not only just the bid, but also like, you know, what the breakdown is, how much of it is uh, down up front and then uh, what's how much of it is credit. Yeah. Oh, and then also like there's all kinds of other terms that you you include in the purchase contracts, you know. Um, so it, there's all kinds of ways that, you know, that real estate agents can make the offers better to the sellers. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you can increase how much earnest deposit you use. You can um, make the money not, you can do like non-refundable earnest money. You can um, include what's called an escalation clause, which means yeah. like you're, yeah, you'll pay more than whatever the highest bid is. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, lot, everybody be be a good buyer, you know, eat your vegetables, you know, yeah. exercise every day, <laughs> yes. brush your teeth before you go. you go to bed. Yeah. yeah. And save, save yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Save fucking so, money. That's the big yeah. thing, right? And this pandemic, and I know like, you know, it's, it's hard, harder for people who have, you know, a lower cash flow every month to, to save up money. But I've seen like in, in America, like the, the culture, kind of dictates that you don't really save a lot of money because like where right. i come from like you know you just all right you just like live bare bones and then just shove everything into a fucking cash deposit you know that's like <laughs> yeah. an opposite end of the spectrum that's like a different extreme and a different problem but like you you're, you're encouraged to save a lot uh, and and like traditionally you want to like save a little bit and have f- at least four, five, six months at at wow. yeah. uh, at best of of an emergency fund, but none of that is happening right now because you know when the pandemic hit and people started losing their jobs, you know it was it was mayhem. Yeah, well, it's right now. I think Americans like yeah, most Americans couldn't afford an extra four hundred dollars. You know, they don't they yeah, don't, they don't save anything so. Hmm. why do you think that is Ryan like is it just people are being underpaid because like frankly like you know I don't want to like piss anybody off but comparatively because I have lived in I've grown up in a different country and I've moved here like just relatively speaking you know just scaling everything to like the the cost of living in India and cost of living here the wage is definitely way better for like every job across the board 
and that's that's the reason i moved here to begin with yeah. uh, so it's i wouldn't like buy the argument that people are paid less i guess people could get paid more and like you know people could get more skill all of that is like a separate discussion but i think pe- people make you know more or less more money than than the reference point i'm coming from so why do you think people like don't really have that safe type of an attitude uh i think they're well one it could just be that uh they aren't really making enough they're kind of just making enough money just to get by and pay their bills mm. and that kind of stuff i also think americans we uh are very um like we all want to be rich we all think mm. we're you know we all think we're that yeah. rich person and so i think a lot of people um try and look like that so they end up yeah. just spending money on frivolous things yeah. that you know are I don't know the kind of show to the rest of the world that you know you have the money to spend like on to these keep things. Keeping up with the Joneses type of deal. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's a totally. Yeah, I think that's a lot of. That's a lot of America, and that's a lot of our problem. But I think yeah, also yeah. wage growth. I mean, that could be another. I mean, that's a. The that's rich, a factor for sure. Yeah, the rich are just yeah everyone. Yeah, I don't know. As the cost of living goes up and has increased, you know, wages haven't kept pace. Mm-hmm. with that and so it's it can be really difficult for people yeah. especially if you're if you get like behind or if you're already like mm. you know financially unstable it's yeah yeah i mean the stress that comes along with that yeah it, it makes it so hard for people just to yeah get ahead yeah no, no, I, I completely agree with that. I think that's the, the, the wage growth, like you said, is a problem. And the earlier thing we were talking about with the Fed just printing money for whatever purposes, yeah. you know, to bail out yeah. uh, fucking to, to bail out GE to, yeah. or to uh, GM or to fucking, uh, you know, like start a new program, whatever they're doing, they're just printing money. And that's how like that's how cost of living is going up. I, that, I think that is the single most uh, single highest contributing factor to the cost of living going up. But I don't see that being talked about so much. They just raise that debt ceiling and you just keep printing money so i don't i don't get it man like it's so that kind of comes full circle with, with the savings yeah no i think i think america's and we're in so much debt you know even the country is in so much debt it's kind of like uh it's always gonna be we're always kind of like kicking that can down the road you know we're gonna grow our way out of this somehow we're gonna be able to pay back that trillion those trillions of dollars yeah. Um, I think it's, I don't know, if you live in America and you see kind of the government doing that, I think it's hard for people not to, you know, do the same thing, like living on credit. America yeah. made it easy to live on credit and credit's pretty, is pretty available. Yeah, um, credit, is che- credit is cheap in the sense of the, the effort it gets to uh, take it on, but it's not yeah. cheap in the sense of paying it back. Right, yeah. And I think a lot of people just, yeah, were comfortable with like a monthly payment or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And so, so many people are, yeah, paying off all the stuff that they yeah, bought two the, years ago. <laughs> yeah. And that's the overall thing too. Like it's, it's uh, always, uh, it's, it's packaged as it's just $300 a month and that's how you rationalize it. Uh, and it's for 72 fucking years or yeah. whatever, like <laughs> something ridiculous yeah. like that. Yeah. Nobody talks about that. Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, you, then you get the thing you want. <laughs> that's yeah, what, yeah, that's, that's true too. That's what people people want the thing they want. Yeah, so. you get the shiniest new car. Like it's, it's I, I guess you know 
I know, man. Maybe maybe that is the right thing to do. Fucking just do it. You just live once. Do that and just fucking, you know. Do, yeah. Die in debt. But I know what's the right thing. I personally wouldn't like to put myself through that mental stress. I, yeah. I keep thinking, like, we'd all be better off if, like, we wanted a lot less. <laughs> and, like, yeah. not, like, in, you know, not in, like, a, like, if I didn't, like, imagine myself, yeah, like, traveling to some you know tropical island yeah. you know then i i might just be satisfied you know with my yeah. family and community and happy yeah here. for sure i don't think that's how the human biology and human brain is wired though no. <laughs> like it's working against you yeah 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 like sure. the, human, the human mind is definitely uh primed to to function in the state of scarcity and always like you know assuming there's scarcity <laughs> so you keep need to accumulating more and more yeah no, that's yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think even Jeffrey Epstein would have been way better off if he didn't go to that tropical island and spend time there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, all the gals would have been better off for sure. So. Oh yeah, I think I think he would have been better off. Yeah. Fuck man, oh, man. yeah, it's crazy, dude. Like, okay, so we're talking about price and real estate and all of that, right? We went off on a little bit of a tangent, but so okay, so let's. If you go a little more higher level now, right, just for the the value and pricing and just overall health of the real estate, what happens come November election time, which for some reason isn't getting as much coverage, I would like have thought like the last election cycle, I was here, that was one of my first election cycle, I was in the in the United States, that's all we would see. Right? Yeah. It was just election, 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 obviously we have a pandemic now. But that, like the elections, like a non-event, almost like it's it's not in the news as much, it's not in the conversation as much. But how does that impact an election impact real estate typically? Um, I get, I don't, I mean, it's I've in a in like an election year, you kind of see a lot more fear happening. So it depends, kind of like on what side of that fear you're on. So some people are afraid that, you know, when if, yeah, if Trump's out and Biden's in that, you know, it's going to be really bad for the economy. So those people potentially may be wanting to get out, you know, of the sell their stuff before, you know, all this happens. So I've helped a number of people like that or like in the last year who said, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think after after the election like shit's gonna get really bad so they are like they've sold their houses and they're took that money and, you know put it in a bank mm-hmm. uh and then they are renting right now um because they're anticipating like you know a future calamity and they want to have the cash so then they can you know take advantage of the you know rock bottom real estate prices seems a little extreme though so you think like joe biden's gonna get elected and that's what the the polls are saying now that he's 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 more likely to win but who knows what how 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 well designed or accurate these polls are um so if biden wins what like all taxes are gonna go up i know he was talking about raising capital gains taxes but just overall everything goes up and that's why they uh, things are going to collapse and then they want to get out seems like awfully extreme disproportionate yeah but i mean that's it's all like fear and then like fear of the unknown and not yeah basically so yeah it kind of depends on how i think for those people it depends on how uh how much they believe Mm. the narrative of disaster 
you know, mm. after the fact. So there's, yeah, I'm helping people right now who are buying. They think prices are going to keep going up. Like we're going to be fine. And then I felt that on the other side where people are like, no, man, we're in, we're in a lot of trouble. We need to sell and we'll pocket our money. And, uh, I mean, those are the people who, you know, last time around, they feel like they missed the opportunity because they, uh, the bubble. you know, yeah. it's like, oh man, we could have, if only we'd have like sold and then had that money to buy like that same house again for a hundred dollars. <laughs> you know that's yeah, what we yeah, should have done yeah. so yeah that's so wishful and kind of thinking that it's gonna play out exactly how it played out last time right but that's yeah so it's it that's all mindset stuff though you know i mean people people are on both sides of that stuff and so i think that's kind of what drives that a lot of it um kind of like what drives all the economy it's like spending or not spending like when mm-hmm. we're when we're afraid we don't and then yeah. when we think everything's fine we do and yeah, and that's so, what drives everything. Okay, makes right. sense. So the fear, fear is 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 the is the driving factor here. So what's the fear? So if Trump gets reelected, what's the fear? I mean, like Trump's gonna do everything in his power to keep the stock market going. You know, just you know, print more money, whatever it fucking takes. He's gonna do that because that's like that's how his ego is like you know catered to. Yeah. Um, what what happens like then? Like, oh well, there's yeah, I mean. There's the people who are making the bet, yeah, who are buying right now, and they they're making the bet that everything's going to be fine and things just keep keep going good, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, then there's some people who are are scared to death that Trump's going to get elected and they think that he's going to you know blow the country up. So, oh, like like the, an ultimate cat- catastrophe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, catastrophe. like you have, you have fear, kind of yeah, on all. Like there's fear on all sides of, of everything, you know. There's people who are motivated, one way or the other, and if, yeah, I don't know. People are kind of trying to make the best bet they can, you know, or the based on like how they see the world and how they, you know, what they're afraid of, what might happen. So yeah. So yeah. okay, so that that makes sense. Um, so with all of this, you know, so you're in the real estate business, and you know. Maybe I can't get an unbiased answer, but I'll still ask, okay? Is there such a thing as good time to buy, a good time to buy right now? Like, you know, is there like any sort of a waiting, you know? Because again, like I go back to the stock market and I know like the analogy is there, but 95% of the times there isn't really a good time to buy unless like you're really analyzing what's going on. Most people like miss the mark and they, they buy and then they buy high, sell low, and like all kinds of fuckery happens. Um, so it's it's really hard to time the market, as they say. Yeah. You want to be like you know just you know keep buying and holding for a long period of time. Like, but is there such a thing as a good time to buy? Timing the market and the real estate. Um, I think it's like I think there is, but you don't. But you only see it, you know, in hindsight. So <laughs> so there isn't any. Really. You know, yeah. I mean, there's times where. Like I've seen in the past, yeah, when the crash happened and prices were so low, um, that was the time to buy. But that was also the height of fear among people, you know? Yeah. So it's like prices are the lowest they're ever going to be. But then also people are the most scared they're ever going to be. So like they're not willing to take that risk of like, you know, buying then. Um, Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to say. I think yeah. it's, it's difficult to see it, but yeah, there yeah. are, yeah, I mean, it's like prices now 
especially in Phoenix, people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how expensive Phoenix is. Like where, you know, this is, it's never been this expensive. I can't imagine it being more expensive. Um, and that's like people who live here, grown up here, kind of feel like they know the area. Mm-hmm. But like when I look 20 years in the future, I still think everything right now is going to be double the price of this. Yeah, it's going to keep know? growing one, two, three percent every year. Yeah. So we're going to, I mean, even if, yeah, it's kind of always like buy and hold, like you said, you know, similar to the stock market where if you, I mean, even if someone bought a house during the bubble and they mm-hmm. held on to it, I mean, at they, this they point. still come out ahead. Yeah. You can, you only kind of lose money in real estate once you sell it. So. Yeah. Anyway, you yeah. don't realize the loss until you actually realize yeah. the loss. Yeah. Right. So you can own the thing and then the values go up and down and that may make you feel richer or poorer stress you out more or less but then in the yeah. end yeah it just it's the sale when you sell yeah. it yeah so cool interesting so you were talking about uh, you know like initially about the investors who are just buying up properties and renting it out do you think it's it like real estate as an investment for individuals you know i'm not referring uh, to to anybody in particular <laughs> myself uh, but <laughs> is there is is that a viable option do you think that is like a healthy thing to do even uh, if you say buy a house in a certain location, you live there and maybe you move and then, you know, then now you have that house you don't want to sell. Like you said, like selling something without holding it for a decent amount of time is kind of foolish, but now you want to, to rent it out. So th- that is like almost a plan B, a contingency. Is mm-hmm. it realistic enough? Because you'd want to hire somebody to take care of the day to day, you know, rental activity and rental management and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of different kind of um, things play into that, really. <clears throat> so a lot of people need the equity um, from the house they're living in to buy the next house they're going to move into. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's kind of that, um, there's that like motivation to sell um, so that you can basically live in a nicer house but keep your monthly payment the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so if... Uh, if they, if you can afford it, I think it's a good thing to you know to turn your your what was your primary residence into a rental. Um, the problem becomes like usually if you just have one, you're not going to want to hire a company to manage it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're going to be managing it yourself, and you're going to be taking on kind of the pressure and stress of like dealing with this other family. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like as long as you're comfortable with that, it can be. It can be like, yeah, a good option for you for sure. Um, Where you could easily run into problems, it's like, yeah, let's say you lose that renter um, and now you have two mortgages. So it's like, oh, we gotta, because that's another, right? You need to find a renter or those people that maybe they end up selling it at that point. So, Mm. um, I see. But there's a, yeah, there are a good amount of people for sure who are, who have done that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they own the two and they're renting the one out. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And especially with geography, because that's the big thing. And that's one more thing we want to talk about. For people who, you know, who are starting out, you know, the they're early parts of their career and that they say the American dream is, is buying that buying a house, which you know, maybe, may, maybe not, you know, is the, really the American dream is to get a 30-year 
mortgage and like basically have a yeah. chain <laughs> you know tied to your uh, one of your legs and yeah. you like you're dragging this big fucking metal ball around <laughs> like you know that's a lot of weight so i don't think that's necessarily just true in all scenarios but buying a house owning property is a good thing so the classic rent versus buy you know decision making uh on the surface i would think buy makes sense if you have the money and if you have some certain level of stability but you're giving up a lot of flexibility yeah. when you buy you're kind of like in you know, a kind of committing to a city yeah no that's yeah that's totally true and i think the it's every like the buy versus rent kind of depends on the on that market in that moment you know yeah that person so, too yeah yeah you know sometimes i mean there are Right now in Phoenix, it's cheaper like to pay a mortgage than it is to pay rent typically. Yeah. Um, but you know those things can can flip you know the other way as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think right now it's. Uh, I mean, I guess it is. This kind of goes back into like why are you there? Like, what are you trying to do in the community? How long do you think you're going to be staying there? Yeah. All those things, you know. Um, but yeah, if you just rent, yeah, you don't. You can you know get up and get out anytime you want. But yeah, yeah. But you've also been taking your money and giving it to someone else. Yeah, you're throwing it in a trash, in the yeah. trash bin essentially. Or, no equity. Or, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're not right. So it's you're paying yeah. for your your yeah enjoyment. Yeah, it's like so. you're paying for an Uber everywhere. It's like the Uber version of a of oh, a sure. house. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you don't own a car, so you just always get a ride. Similar, yeah. So, for sure, man. Like last couple of things, you know, I don't want to hold you uh, out for uh, you know any 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 more time. Just a couple of things here. So, what is the future of the real estate market? As somebody who's in the business trying to sell and buy houses, and everything's getting automated. You know, obviously we have the Zillows of the world that will mm -hmm. give you the price. Like they'll give you a lot of detailed information. I would think like 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, you wouldn't have had such comprehensive information right. at, at, at the click of your finger. It's like scrolling through Facebook now. I go on like Zillow and just like scroll for hours. It's just oh, entertaining yeah. as all hell. But mm -hmm. because the, the way they've designed that experience, but like you have a lot of valuable information right there so like is it going to start like eliminating kind of like you know uh, eating into like you know the work that you do right now uh, and like what, what which direction is it going in with more automation um yeah it has um it's made things it's made things different you know because there's a lot more competition on the on the buyer side or as far as like when when a person needs to sell their house um, to get like the most money you're going to get for it, you should really, you know, put money into it and clean it up, make it look nice, all those things. Um, so now people are lazy with a lot of equity. So it's like if you bought a house like four or five years ago, um, that house is appreciated so much that you have like, yeah, you have a ton of cash in it. So a lot of those people don't, they would rather have the ease of selling it to um, a big group, a big cash and, you know, person, hmm. um, and having it be done, you know, the next day, right. as opposed to going through the hassle of showings and all those different kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, I see, um, I see. So it, but where it's like, I'm worried and not worried because on the other side of it, it's like to get, you can do almost everything in real estate kind of except 
look at the house you need you know it's kind of like to get the thing across the goal line you still need people mm-hmm. you know you still most people even though they have the information they don't have the experience or know-how to really use that information to help them um so i still there is definitely this like it's changed our business but it in a way it kind of highlights you can make yourself almost look better by what you can provide the information you know that you can give people on top of those things so yeah yeah because yeah it it is a tangible thing you want to touch feel look smell um you know you want to look around the neighborhood you want to see what is going on but like it kind of everything like this online stuff with zillow uh it it brings you one step closer you know you don't have to maybe it cuts out the first visit the the preliminary stuff you can because you get like detailed four mm-hmm. pictures and videos and 3d walkthroughs and i don't know with virtual reality they probably you can probably just like gonna put on goggles and actually go in there virtually and yeah, get like coming. even more of an yeah. intimate feeling you know, yeah yeah no that the 3d stuff or the vr stuff is coming too but yeah i mean it's it used to be difficult for people to find houses and so mm-hmm. that's why they hired realtors, you know, because yeah. realtors knew where to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's really easy to find the houses, but you still need a realtor to get inside it. Yeah. You know? So there are companies that allow people to go in and out. Um, but even at that point, you know, you've looked at it, you still need a person to, you know, make the deal happen. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of like that. I know that my money's been cut into um through it like commissions have come down some because there are those other options um but i still yeah it's i still think you need people to you know to finish off the to finish off the transactions makes sense so like the direction it's going in it's cut into you know your 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 lunch so to say right Uh, do you think it's going to take over like keep going in this direction or you think there's always going to be a need for a human there yeah i think there's always going to be i think there's there are always going to be people who don't want to do it themselves don't know how to do it themselves don't feel comfortable you know there's always going to be um a demand for for someone to do it for me you know okay. that's kind of like everything yeah. there's always you Makes know, sense, you you want, know? Yeah. big corporation you can build all the fucking robots you want but you need rpj to walk people you know across yeah. the line so fuck you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of um yeah i think that the people are there you still you still need us so yeah 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 for yeah. sure like and i think it was very healthy like conversation and like the direction very smooth the way it enough f- flew um yeah i, I liked it yeah no me too i thought it was great so yeah and and apart from that like your initial story too man like you know i i'd like heard a little bit of it you know when you're doing stand-up like you know it's in your jokes but i didn't even know like complete sequence of it it's like truly inspirational i think it's super interesting to to hear and and see like you know it's it's almost like a lot of people do like inspiration for the sake of inspiration but i think seeing somebody like you you know (laughs) go through that and you being so like you know you being i don't say nonchalant but you you you're very positive in the way you talk about it and and describe it you know there's there isn't the woe is me type of thing oh. which i like kind of like detest i shouldn't like you know somebody's in that state of mind they should be but i really appreciate that about you oh thanks man yeah i i 
look at, I just feel so lucky, you know, honestly, like to be where I'm at. So I know like, I, I don't, the, for me, it's like the struggle is like the joy and the struggle is like the opportunity to be grateful. And I mean, every, cause I had lost everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like picking just like every time I pick something up off the ground with like my thumb and forefinger, it's a, uh, I have this moment of like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. And it's like, it's the most basic things, but yeah, awesome. I couldn't do that. Awesome. <laughs> great. Like one last thing, man, I think we covered everything and this was great. You know, you're right from like the stories, uh, you know, you told in the beginning to like getting into each, like the details, the nitty gritty of, uh, of, of all these factors of real estate. Last thing I'll ask you. Okay. And this is kind of a theme I'm trying to keep, you know, the last question being of hope and despair. So okay. for the topic I'm talking about. So what do you think there's the one point of hope and one point of despair as it pertains to real estate and you know, a residential real estate in this example what, what do you think is hope one point of hope one point of despair going into the future um well i think a point of hope is um kind of like real estate's track record and that's just like real estate has continued to you know i guess if it's in a good location, real estate continues to be a great vehicle to invest your money in, you know, mm-hmm. that it prices go up. You kind of always need people to live there. That's kind of the, where I see hope, you know, I see that there's potential. Um, I think what's happening on the other side is that there's a lot of people who are, um, cut out of the possibility of buying. Um, and I think that that's going to be as prices go up, you're going to just see more people who can't get into the market. So yeah. I think that's the, but then what's funny is, um, is it kind of all depends, you know, like right now you could go to Coolidge and you could buy a house for $40,000. You know, you, there's places you could go today and buy a cheap house. Um, but do you want to live there? You know, that's yeah. the, that's yeah, the there's question. no economy around it. Uh, there's yeah. no social life around it. But that also will change, I think, going in the direction of like the despair is kind of turning into hope because what I, from what I see, more people will be working from home for different types of jobs. That's going to be normalized more. So now you're like your geographic location doesn't matter as much as before. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, don't need to live smack dab in the middle in the Mission District in San Francisco. You, know, right. you can work out of, out of Flagstaff and work for a tech company in San Francisco. So like a lot of those dynamics, I think will also also help ease the pressure from these like particular centers, uh, you know, the pressure on the real estate. Yeah, I think um, that would be, I know the commutes what everyone like complains and hates, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of people, yeah, you buy a house so far away because it's the biggest, nicest thing you can get for your money and you're just willing to, you know, give up six hours a day six hours okay yeah that makes more sense like you know yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, three i don't know people that two hours there two hours home whatever it is yeah so um but yeah man i think uh i still think it's yeah when i look at real estate i just i like kind of look back and i just hear all the conversations of like my dad and people i knew who were like oh yeah we bought the house for forty thousand dollars it was new it was you know yeah. whatever it was 80 grand yeah. it's one of those so, things yeah we could buy a full steak dinner for a dime like one yeah. of those stories <laughs> yeah right. but 
what I've kind of like come to think of or realize like those like my stories are going to be like what my kids heard. So he's going to hear like he used to be able to buy an Aotuki for $200,000, you know, and now it's seven or whatever, you know, it's going to be. I think that will still continue. So. All right. Yeah, that's uh, that's great, man. That's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. Last thing, if you want to plug anything, you know, your, any of your shows, any any of your business activity, whatever it is you want to plug, please, please go ahead and let the people know. Where oh, to yeah. Find you. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess my real estate, that would be the majority of this talk. My website, it's rpjrealestate.com. Um, and that's where you can find me more information about me. Um, I have a link also like on, on that page for, a uh, um, my book, I wrote a book. It's, a uh, on real estate. It's called, uh, if your equity matters, the marketing matters. Great. Um, and so, yeah, they can get, if people want to copy that book, it's available right there you can fill out the link and then i'll send it to you so fantastic yeah i'll, I'll make yeah. sure i leave all those links in the in the show notes that's awesome man thank you so much ryan really appreciate you spending the time oh yeah man it was great speaking with you I, yeah. I, this was fun i appreciate yeah. it man. a lot of Good fun all right people bye thanks ryan. all right adios yep <laughs> bye man Thank you for listening to the entirety of that episode. I really, really appreciate everybody who puts on their headphones and listens to this podcast while they they make dinner, they work out. I don't know what you guys do. I think that'd be a nice thing to know what people do while they listen to it so I kind of can think about it. You know, if you're doing something uncouth or, uh, you know, something vile, uh, maybe I shouldn't know about it. But anyway, thank you so much for listening to the whole thing uh, again super appreciative of everyone uh, i hope you guys enjoyed the conversation uh, you know uh, ryan as always is a great guy and he kind of you know laid out all the facts and he told incredible stories which which was awesome and i'll leave i'll make sure i leave uh, links to all of uh, ryan's social media and his business his website all of that in the show notes so you guys can check it out and i i I have to ask man come on guys like if if you like what I'm doing and if you like listening to this please share it with your friends you know just fucking just just if if one guy every single person human being finds another human being and shares it with them you know it's going to be some exponential growth going on there's going to be compounding so please share with the share it with different people you know it sounds like I'm trying to sell some sort of a pyramid scheme but there's nothing to sell here it's just like I want more people to listen to this to see you know if I can get kind of a podcast going on you know I have like a few people listening right now which is great and I really appreciate that but if you could just get like a few more people listening to it I don't know I'm just saying the same thing over and over again now I'm all I'm saying is my podcast is like a pyramid scheme it's like Mary Kay it's like Amway you know like, I don't know man fuck yeah Amway is crazy man Amway is like so so popular within the Indian community Indian diaspora in the US when I first got here when I first you know came into the US came into the US that's not that's not nice but yeah when I first got here it was in 2014 and everywhere you go you know grocery stores fucking Ikea wherever you go you know where like just you're going about your business you're shopping there, there would be an Indian uncle or auntie just like lurking around the corner, ready to jump on you to, to preach 
the way of the amway the american way of marketing to you so they're like see oh, i have a business opportunity i want to talk to you about i'm like bitch i'm i'm fucking here to study you know i'm in graduate school you think you're gonna scam me with amway i've already gotten scammed once you know on uh multi-level marketing scheme uh when i was 18 i'm not gonna fucking fall for it again jesus how stupid do you think i am i i emphasize the wrong part there how stupid do you think i am do you think i am all right but anyway man fucking share it with your friends i'd really appreciate it and you guys have a great rest of your whatever's thanks bye